Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. Tonight, we are at church. It's a Friday evening church service, and even though we were kind of thinking that we were going to go over Matthew chapter 4, turns out that we instead got into uh, some current events, and we talked about the invasion by Hamas into the nation of Israel. We decided we were going to talk a little bit about the history of the nation of Israel, who owns the land, where that came from, what the Bible says about it, kind of the history of Jerusalem and the land of Israel over the ages. And then we talk a little bit about the the current event, the invasion of Hamas into the nation of Israel. We take some questions and we even get into a little bit about prophecy concerning the end times and a battle that we find in Ezekiel chapter 39 uh, that I believe is going to be nuclear in its scope. I'm at home now doing an intro leading into uh, that church service, and you're going to get the audio from that church service uh, right now. Hold on. I hope you enjoy it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Church of Grace. My name is Patrick Hayes. Today is Friday, October 13th. So what we are going to start doing is uh, we are going to talk about the Hamas invasion. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of the nation of Israel, uh, just to give some perspective on all the stuff that's going on, uh, unless you live in a cave. And even then, most caves nowadays have Wi-Fi, so it'd have to be a pretty deep cave far away. I'm sure you have seen in the news that uh, things are a little crazy over in the nation of Israel right now. And I just wanted to kind of talk about that because when whenever we look at the nation of Israel, that is a good indicator as to how the rest of the world is going and uh, specifically how it relates to the Bible and the end times. So whenever we see things going on in Israel, that should make our ears perk up and we should uh, take notice of what's going on. So we're going to talk about that for a little bit. The reason is I had a handful of folks texting me over the last week with some questions and I figured, well, let's just kind of go over it all together. There was an invasion in the nation of Israel. Uh, A lot of people uh, died, a very violent attack, and uh, that happened. Last week on the last day of the uh, feast day, Sukkot. And uh, we're going to go over some of the details. But before we get into that, what I wanted to do was go over a little bit about what the Bible says and a little bit of the history of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is this piece of land right here as far as present day Israel goes. Uh, It's not always been that size. Today, it's roughly the size of the state of New Jersey. Uh, It's been larger and smaller at different times through history. Uh, That piece of land, if it was not for the city of Jerusalem and the spiritual significance of that land, does anyone want to know who would want that land? Any guesses? Who would want that land? Moses? Nobody. Do you want to know how much oil is under that land? Zero. There is no oil under that land. And for hundreds of years at different points in history, that land was just barren desert. There was nothing there. Nobody cared about it. But 
the nation of Israel is a piece of land that's talked about in the Bible. It's talked about early on. And we're going to start out by going to Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. Uh, let's go there and we will look at at least one verse in the Bible here to kind of get us started. So Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. Now, this is the second time that God appears to Abraham and talks about the covenant that he is going to make with Abraham. The covenant has several parts. One part has to do with Abraham's seed. So his children and grandchildren. And he's, God says that your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren are going to be as the stars of the sky. They're going to be as the sand of the sea. You are going to possess this piece of land. Go to Genesis chapter 15, and this is very important. I want to go over this, and it'll take a second, but it's just a great piece of Bible. So let's start in Genesis chapter 15, and we'll go to verse... Verse 7, and this is God speaking to Abraham. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees and give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in uh, the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. So here what's, here's what's going on. Let's draw a picture. So what we have is Abraham, he took several animals, he cut them into pieces. He has two piles of pieces of animals. This is the way that business was done back in these days. This is a historical account uh, this was done not only in the Bible, but this was commonplace as far as a covenant that was made between people. What we get to is uh, verse 11, and when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So he cuts these animals into pieces like God said, and then it's taken a little while. The, the birds find out about it and they start coming. Now verse 12, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, so this is God speaking unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. What is God talking about there? Oni? Egypt, very good. Uh, they are going to be strangers in the nation of Egypt. They're going to be slaves down there. It's going to go on for four hundred years. Then in verse 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with a great substance. And we read about that in, uh, in the book of Exodus. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good, old, a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, what's going on is there is a smoking furnace and a burning lamp, and they pass through the pieces. Now, the way it worked is this was called cutting a covenant. And what the people would do is they would walk 
in this pattern between the pieces and they would recite the terms of the covenant. So you have your part and you have your part and that's the covenant. Okay, and I make a covenant with you and you have your part and I have my part. You're going to uphold your end. I'm going to uphold my end. It was a contract. They would do this in between these animals. And typically there would be uh, witnesses. Personally, I'm a fan of a notary. We just draw up some papers and we get a notary to stamp it and we sign it. It's a lot easier. Back then, this is the way they did it. They didn't go to their bank and have a notary stamp it and file it with the county. I'll read it again. Smoking furnace and burning lamp is passing through these pieces, reciting this covenant and promising Abram the land and specifically stating the borders of the land, which we'll explain in a second. My question for everyone is while this is going on, what's Abraham doing? It's written in there. We read it. He's sleeping. Abraham's asleep through this whole thing. He's not even awake. He doesn't even know what's going on while God's making this covenant. Why was Abraham asleep? It says in verse 12, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And then it explains in verse 12 that he's having nightmares. Abram never wakes up. Why is that important? Washington? Abraham? has no part. It's an unconditional covenant. There's only a few of them in the Bible. This is one of them. God said, this is what I'm doing. This will be your family. This will be their land. Abraham had no part that he had to recite. No matter what happens, the nation of Israel will own this land. When God lines out the borders of the nation of Israel that he explains to Abram, what are the borders? The Nile River and the Euphrates. Let's look in verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So this right here on this map that is the land that God promised to Abram. Now, is that the land that the nation of Israel has right now? No. They have this little piece right here. Now, this is important because they will be given this land one day. They will be given this piece of land prior to the millennial reign. And it includes a large portion of Egypt, the Sinai Peninsula, the northern one-third of Saudi Arabia, part of Kuwait, half of Iraq, most of Syria, all of Jordan and Lebanon, and part of Turkey. Now, who thinks those, those countries are just ready to turn over that real estate to Israel? None of them. None of them are ready to do that. So the nation of Israel, they live in the land for 2,000 years before the Romans kicked them out. From the time that Abraham was given that covenant and God said, this is your land, <clears throat> until the Romans kick them out, it's about 2,000 years. Now, in 586 BC, one of the most important dates in the Bible, what happens? Babylon 
the nation of Babylon come to Israel. They surround Jerusalem. They laid siege to the city. They take away thousands of slaves captive, bring them back to Babylon. Uh, one of those slaves that was very famous goes by the name of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. He has a book in the Bible. And they take a whole bunch of the stuff from the temple, basically everything that's made of gold that's not nailed down or on fire. Uh, they have two more sieges that they lay to Jerusalem, and they finally wipe out the city, level the city, level the temple, and take away a bunch more slaves. Seventy years later, uh, the Jews were released, and they returned to Jerusalem. <clears throat> then, for the next 500 years, the Jews lived in Israel, while the Persians ruled over them until the Greeks defeated them. Alexander the Great came in and defeated the, uh, the Persian Empire. Then the Romans, they took control and ruled the world about 30 BC, and they ruled the world through the birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Through that whole time, the Romans were in charge. And then what happens is around 66 to 70 AD, the Jews get tired of being under Roman authority and they revolt. So they rebel and they start fighting off the Romans and they do a real good job of it. And after a little while, the Romans get sick and tired of that. And in 70 AD, they send Titus Vespasian, who was not Caesar at the time. He was a general. They send him to Jerusalem. His father was Caesar at the time. And he shows up with several Roman legions and they surround Jerusalem and they lay siege to it. And after they break down the walls and get into Jerusalem, they destroy the temple. Uh, that's the second temple, the temple that was there during the uh, time of Christ. When Jesus was a baby and was brought to the temple to be dedicated, that's the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. And the Romans again pillage the temple, take away everything that was made of gold. Uh, Jesus prophesied that. He said that the temple was going to be destroyed. We're not going to get into that. The Jews flee their homeland in every direction, all over the world, because the Romans are killing everybody. So the Jews flee in every direction. They end up in Egypt. They end up in, in Sudan and Ethiopia. They end up in Russia. They go to uh, Europe, uh, um, or what we call Europe after the Romans uh, lost control of the world. So the Jews spread out throughout the rest of the world. Then what happens in 135 AD? The Romans renamed the land. See, the Romans really did not like the Jews. They got along fine for a while, but they got to a point where they, did, they were constantly uh, revolting, fighting against them. So the Romans renamed the land that today we call Israel. And they renamed the land after one of Israel's ancient enemies. Does anyone know who that enemy was? The Philistines. Who was the famous Philistine? Most famous Philistine in the Bible. Goliath. Very good. So that is where the name Palestine comes from. They renamed the land Palestina. The enemies of Israel named the Jewish homeland after one of their enemies in an attempt to eradicate the Jews from history. Any questions so far? The point is that the name Palestine 
and the group of people who call themselves Palestinians are fake. They are frauds. There was never a nation of Palestine. There was never a people of Palestine. There was never a culture, language of Palestine in history. There was certainly never a nation of Palestine that occupied that land, ever. So what happens in the nation of Israel now in that geographic region, remember the Jews are gone, they're spread all over the world. The Persians capture Jerusalem again, and then a couple of different uh, dynasties capture Jerusalem, the Amayad dynasty, the Abbasid dynasty. Uh, the Catholics during the Crusades captured Jerusalem in 1100 AD. Uh, Salah al-Din, the Sultan of Egypt, conquers Jerusalem in 1187. Catholic Crusades capture it again in 1244. And in 1250 AD, uh, the Muslim Caliph dismantles the walls of Jerusalem and the population declines drastically. And nobody lives there. It's a city that is practically abandoned. Uh, no one's doing anything with it. In 1517, the Ottoman Empire captures Jerusalem. In his book, Innocence Abroad, written in 1869, Mark Twain repeatedly notes how empty and desolate he found the Holy Land during his travels. He said even Jerusalem held a population of only 14,000 people. Nobody cared about it. It was practically desolate. The point is that nobody wanted to live in the land and nobody cared about Jerusalem, not until the Jews moved back. So in 1917, the British captured Jerusalem during World War I, and then in 1948, very important year, 1948, who moves into Jerusalem? The Jews do. Right after World War II, after they were systematically rounded up, and murdered. A crazy man tried to exterminate every Jew in the world, and he got rid of one-third of the Jews all over Europe. During their lowest point, right after World War II, they come back to their land, and they become a nation again. And that was something that was prophesied back in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was making a prophecy that they would not only be dispersed, but they would one day come back. The nation of Israel is the only nation in the history of the world that has had their nation taken from them. Then they move back, they become a nation, a sovereign state, and they reinstitute an ancient language, which is used in Israel today, Hebrew. It's never happened before. It will never happen again. In 1948, the nation of Israel is reestablished. Israel was quickly recognized by the U.S. and many other nations, but the surrounding Arab states immediately attacked the new state of Israel in what was called the Yom Kippur War. In spite of the Arabs' great number and superior military might, the new state survived, and the world's only Jewish state has been victorious in every subsequent battle with its neighbors. Israel is currently surrounded by people who want to kill them. Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq are full of Arab Muslims who support, finance, and plan attacks 
on the Jews. Most Arab nations have not yet officially recognized the right of Israel to exist. Most Arab nations don't even show Israel on maps in their countries. In the schools, Arab children are consistently taught to hate Israel. On the internet and TV in these countries, they are bombarded with propaganda telling them to hate the Jews. Saudi Arabia today will not allow Jews into their country to work, to visit, nothing. You are not allowed in the country if you are Jewish. So there has never been a Palestinian nation throughout all of world's history. By birth, religion, culture, and language, they are Arab. Jews are not allowed to live in most Arab nations. Arabs are allowed to live in Israel. Arabs are allowed to vote. They are allowed to own land. In many Arab nations, women aren't allowed to vote, drive, own a business, or be educated beyond the third grade. In all the Middle East, Israel is the best place an Arab woman can live where she enjoys the same freedoms that she would in America today. Any questions? I bring this up because since the 40s, we've been lied to continually. Israel is filled with monsters. They are horrible to everybody. Do you know that two-thirds, two-thirds of every time the United Nations meets, it is to condemn Israel. Two-thirds! Since it started, a nation the size of New Jersey, and they spend two-thirds of their time meeting condemning Israel. Okay, now, for those who might think that Hamas, Hezbollah, and Palestinians are wonderful people, and you want to know why you might believe this? You might believe this because the United Nations had a meeting on religious tolerance. And they invited, they invited people from Saudi Arabia to run the United Nations Conference on Religious Tolerance. The nation where Christians are not allowed to own a Bible. The nation where Jews are not allowed to walk on their soil. And the UN has the audacity to have Saudi Arabia tell us how to be religiously tolerant. Yasser Arafat, leader of the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, terrorist, brings down commercial airliners full of people. One of the greatest mass murderers in modern day history. What is he given? He's given the Nobel Peace Prize. Friends, there is no reason for the world to be against this nation other than demonic oppression. It is a plan by the devil because the people that live in that nation are God's chosen people. That's what the Bible says. Insanity and lies surround the nation of Israel. We've been told that they are monsters. 
They live surrounded by their enemies who have promised to push them into the sea. Hamas, this is the charter of Hamas, issued on August 18, 1988. Our church has a charter. It's what we believe. It's the way we are going to act. That's our church's charter. Hamas has one. August 18, 1988, they came up with it. This is their words. Hamas is an Islamic organization operating in the territories under Israel control. Its covenant is a comprehensive manifesto comprised of 36 separate articles, all of which promote the basic Hamas goal of destroying the state of Israel through jihad. Jihad is Islamic holy war. The following are excerpts of Hamas's covenant. Uh, The goals of Hamas, the Islamic resistant movement, is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. That's written in the preamble. The land of Palestine is an Islamic holy possession consecrated for future Muslim generations until Judgment Day. No one can renounce it or any part or abandon it or any part of it. Palestine is is an Islamic land. Since this is the case, the liberation of Palestine is an individual duty for every Muslim wherever he may be. The day the enemies usurp part of Muslim land, jihad becomes the individual duty of every Muslim. In the face of the Jews, usurpation, It is compulsory that the banner of jihad be raised. Ranks will close, fighters joining other fighters, and masses everywhere in the Islamic world will come forward in response to the call of duty, loudly proclaiming, Hail to Jihad. This cry will reach the heavens and will go on being resounded until liberation is achieved, the invaders vanquished, and Allah's victory comes about. The day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. Then the Jews will hide behind rocks and trees, and the rocks and trees will cry out, O Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. It's Article 7. You can look this up. This is is what they wrote. Do you know that Adolf Hitler wrote a book? Do you know that it was in circulation in 1938? And people were surprised at what he did. He wrote out what he was going to do. He said, we're going to gather up all the Jews and we're going to kill them. Then we're going to gather up anyone who's crippled. We're going to kill them. Then we're going to gather up everybody that has any any mental deficit. We're going to kill them. Then we're going to kill all of the gypsies. Then we're going to kill all of the blacks. Then we're going to kill all of the Orientals. He only got to step one on his list. The list was long. It's written out in his book. The problem with people today is we don't believe folks when they speak it in their own words. They say, this is our goal. Any questions? Anytime you hear a spokesman for Islam, they say that Islam is a religion of peace. That statement is two lies. Islam is not a religion. Islam is not peaceful. 
Islam is a geopolitical movement of war. Its goal is to take over the world. It does this through subterfuge. The study of the Islamic religion will reveal that true Islam is anything but peaceful. Islam demands the utter destruction of all Jews, Christians, and anyone who refuses to convert to the Islamic faith. Do you know what an Islamic nation looks like? When Islam completely takes over a nation, they've kicked out and killed all the Jews, they've kicked out and killed all the Christians, do you know what they do next? They divide up into factions and they say, your Islam is not as good as our Islam. And they start killing each other. That's gone on all over the world for thousands of years. It is a warrior code that demands that Muslims live and die by the sword. This perspective can be confirmed by examining three areas. Number one, their sacred writings and exemplified by the Quran. I own a Quran. I've read the Quran. Don't tell me that Islam is a religion of peace. Now, are there peaceful Muslims? Absolutely. But they are bad Muslims. They don't follow their book. Are there violent Christians? Absolutely. But they're bad Christians. They don't follow this book. A review of their history and conquest of cultural imperialism will show us that Islam is not a religion of peace. An inspection of the Islamic countries and their propagating a legacy of hate and repression on their various subjugated populations will show us the same thing. The truth about Islam is exactly the opposite of what you will hear on the news. Most Americans believe that Islam is a religion of peace and that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. In public schools, we teach our children a doctrine of tolerance. And in some schools, students are even required to memorize passages of the Quran. Islamic children are taught that America is the infidel. We are the enemy. When the towers came crashing down on September 11, 2001, and thousands of innocent people were killed, Muslims all over the world danced in the streets and praised the hijackers. They still celebrate 9-11 as a national holiday all over the Middle East. Every single year in Iran, in Tehran, their capital, they are burning American flags and they are celebrating. Islamic terrorists are referred to in the West as radicals and extremists, while in the Mideast, they are heralded by fundamentalists as martyrs and heroes. Do you know that the families of suicide bombers are rewarded monetarily with pensions? If you are a suicide bomber, then what we will do after you die is we will take care of your wife and kids along with your parents, your aunts and uncles, everybody. It's all funded by Saudi oil money, and they take people from slums where they don't even have clean water and sanitation, and they say, we will take care of everyone in your family for the rest of their life if you'll put on one of these vests. On the last day of Sukkot, on Saturday, that is the Feast of Tabernacles, Israeli citizens realized the sirens they were hearing were not false alarms. A surprise attack was underway from the air, the sea, and the ground by hordes of Hamas militants. This was last week. They fired thousands of missiles from Gaza. 
They were not firing missiles at military targets. They fired missiles indiscriminately. They were fired into civilian neighborhoods. Simultaneously, hundreds of armed fighters of Hamas on motorcycles followed bulldozers that breached fences separating Israel from Gaza, and they charged into the cities, taking Israeli soldiers off guard and gunning down citizens. Dozens of Hamas militants and motorboats landed on Israeli beaches. Other armed Hamas attackers entered Israel on paragliders. Well, this was a coordinated attack, one of the largest since, I think, 1970s or 1973. It was funded by Iran. And get ready, because the big problem that we are uh, facing is that Iran is backed by the Russians. Nation of Israel is our ally. And personally, this could be, hands down, one of the craziest times in American history. I don't know which way it's going, but I'm just saying buckle up. Uh, Groups of terrorists marched into every town and kibbutz, firing on homes and killing Israeli citizens at random. Hamas militants kicked in doors, shooting residents, begging for their lives, and taking others, including uh, women and children, hostage. The militants, when they would kick in the doors of the Israeli citizens, they would line them up on the floor, they would take their cell phones, they would log into their social media accounts, and then they would video the executions of the people with their own phones so that all of their friends and family would see it. That's what they did. Remember, Islam is a religion of peace. U.S. Senator Jim Risch, a ranking member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, released the following statement last week on the atrocities and war crimes in Hamas that they have committed against Israel. As we learn more about the devastating events over the weekend, the reality has become clear. Hamas, a U.S.-designated terrorist organization since 1997, has committed atrocities and war crimes during its genocidal campaign against innocent Israelis. The crimes committed, including the beheading of children, rape, kidnapping, hostage-taking, and many more unspeakable violent crimes. Thousands of Israelis have been brutally murdered, in addition to Americans and other foreign nationals. Committing these acts was unjust, brutal, and completely devoid of any humanity. So what they are doing is they are killing indiscriminately, and then who they are taking hostage and stealing away, they are raping and they are decapitating women and children. That's what's going on right now. Wars are going to be fought. Russia invaded Ukraine. Whether you're for it or against it, I don't care. I'm going to tell you why they're doing it. Russia needs a warm weather port. They've always needed that. They have that with Ukraine. Ukraine produces one third of the wheat for the entire world. Russia wants that. Ukraine has oil and gas. Russia wants that. Countries invade other countries and subjugate people so that they can get their resources. That's what countries do. That's not what Hamas does. They're not looking for land. These people lived there already. Palestinians lived in Israel. They owned land. They were given the right to vote. They have clean water. They have sanitation. Their little girls can grow up in school in safety. They can be educated. They can go to college. They can start a business. They had all these things. Hamas comes in because they hate the Jews. It's in their charter. It's in the Quran. That's why they do it. This is straight terrorism. 
On 9-11, 3,000 Americans died in one day. They didn't do it to get our resources. They didn't do it to take over part of our land. They did it because they hate us. And they want to subjugate us. They want us to bow to the flag of Islam. Any questions? I know it was a heavy section. I, you know, there was very little comic relief over the last 30 minutes. I understand that. The the goal of tonight's message was not, was not to teach a lesson on Islam and Muhammad. Okay? I'd love to do that for you if you ever want. All I wanted everyone to know is that the idea of Palestine I, you, you will never hear me refer to Israel, present-day Israel, as Palestine because it's a made-up name. There's no nation of Palestinians. There's no group of Palestinians. Every Palestinian, by birth, religion, culture, language, is Arab. They're no different than the Arabs in Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Iraq, Syria, Jordan. That's what they are. Okay, last chance. Does anyone know what time it is? I, I don't have my watch. My son has my phone. I don't even know where we are. Pfft, great. Well, yeah, I mean, the idea of us getting back into Matthew chapter 4 and going over what we were talking about is not going to, I don't think it's going to happen, which is really lousy because we went over like one Bible verse, so it was a terrible uh, Bible study. Go ahead. Okay, uh, good question. Okay, so the, the question was, you know, for Ukraine, we've dumped out so much money and given them so much support. What are we doing for Israel? Okay, you ready for this? Here's the good news. You want to know what we need to do for Israel? Nothing. Yes, we should pray. We should pray. You want to know what support they need? None. Israel has a sophisticated military that rivals ours. The Israeli Defense Force knows what they are doing. All we have to do is get out of the way and say, what do you guys need? Benjamin Netanyahu, their current prime minister, was an Israeli commando. He is the most hua dude you have ever met in your life. When you listen to this guy, I don't know how many bodies this guy has racked up, but let me tell you, he has plenty of experience killing terrorists. When they go after Hamas the way they're talking about doing it, they are going to find everyone involved and kill them. They will find everyone who financed them, and they will kill them. They will probably find the bankers that helped the financees, and they will kill them. Do you guys know what Israel has been doing up until like 20 years ago? They've been going around the world finding every last Nazi in the SS and killing them. They have gone all over the world. They said, we will never forget. You do not get to get away with exterminating one-third of our people. They went down to Argentina and got Heinrich Himmler, okay, who was the head of the final solution. They brought him back to the nation of Israel and tried him for war crimes and executed him. He was the last guy that was executed for a capital crime in the nation of Israel. They sent their people everywhere. 
And if you were a Nazi after World War II, if you burned your uniform and you escaped and you got away, they hunted you down and they killed you in your bed. Nobody got away. Okay, now listen up. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna close with this since tonight was just a total waste as far as studying the Bible or doing anything spiritual. Um, but I, th- I I thought it was necessary. I hope I'm hoping it was helpful. For years, I have been telling all of you folks that you need to have a level of preparedness for your family. I'm going to reiterate that. We don't know what is coming next. All we know is there is going to be a massive amount of instability, potentially, all around the world and certainly in America. I tell everybody, at a minimum, you want three months of long-term food storage socked away in your home. You want three months of water socked away in your home. One gallon per person per day for every member of your family and pet. You want a small amount of cash, not in the bank, just in a safe, in an envelope, because the banks can shut down, they can stop handing out money. These little things to be prepared in case there is a big problem are always a good idea. It's like life insurance. Who here has life insurance? Okay, Joe, do you ever plan on dying and your wife cashing in that policy? Yeah, you don't plan on it, but you have it, right? Just to be safe, because you never know what's gonna happen. That's why we have life insurance. That's why you get prepared, because during times like this, People can start acting wonky and crazy, and you just want to be able to provide for those in your family who you love, take care of them. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hoping everything blows over quickly. Do you realize that the Bible in Ezekiel talks about a massive conflict with a nuclear power in Ezekiel 37 and 38? Do you guys want to see that? You want me to go over that in the last five minutes? Let's do it. Open your Bible. We're going to get some Bible in here one way or the other. Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel chapters. Let's go to 39. Just go to 39. Ezekiel is prophesying about a battle. This battle is going to happen prior to the second coming of Christ. This is going to happen. I don't know if it's in our lifetime, but let me ask you this, folks. How many of you think Jesus might come back in your lifetime? Okay, got a handful. Yeah, right? Things are bad. Things are weird. Is Jesus coming back? When's it going to happen? So let's start in verse 8. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 8. Behold, it is come and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forests, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. Okay. So here's what's going on. Israel, is, these are the facts of what we just read. Israel is fighting a war. After they vanquish their enemy, they will go into the fields where the war was fought and they will take the weapons 
off of the dead. And they will burn them, it says. How long will they burn? Not seven days. Seven years. How does that happen? It not only says they will burn them for seven years, but during those seven years, what will they not have to do? They will not have to cut down any wood. Wood is a fuel source in the nation of Israel. That's how they heat. Keep in mind, we're talking about the days of Ezekiel. That was prior to the time of Christ. That was about 450, no, that was 500 years prior to the time of Christ. So wood was their source for heating their homes, for cooking. So they're going to somehow take the weapons from all the soldiers on the battlefield and they're going to be able to use them for their power source in the nation of Israel. For how long? Seven years. How many bows and arrows do you think you need to burn to produce power in that nation for seven years? What I'm telling you is that Ezekiel saw a prophecy from God and did not know how to explain nuclear war. That is the technology that they are going to take off of the battlefield and use to power their nation for seven years. You say, Patrick, that's a stretch. Won't be in a second. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hamongog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renowned the day uh, that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. Okay, so they are going to get a burying place. It's going to be in a certain part of the country. It's going to be on the east of the sea. Why? It's downwind. All of the dead soldiers from the other side, they have to bury them in a certain place. They have to do it downwind of civilization. Why? Nuclear fallout. Gets even better. Verse 14, and they shall sever out men of a continual employment passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. And also the name of the city shall be uh, Hamona. Thus shall they cleanse the land. So now, they don't bury their enemies on their own. They hire a group to do it. They hire a group from outside of their country that's a group of specialists to come in. That's a nuclear event response team. They come in because they have to be suited up so we don't all die from nuclear fallout. And we're going to gather up all the bodies, which how long does that take? Seven months. How on earth does that take seven months? It takes seven months because, again, we're dealing with nuclear. You can't just walk out there and start picking stuff up. Your eyes are going to glow green. Your teeth are going to fall out. Then what does it say? Then it says that when 
people visiting the land, if they see so much as a bone sticking up in the earth, they're not to touch it. They're to mark it with a flag and get the specialist to come back and pick it up and move it out. That's what it says. That is nuclear war. And it's explained in the book of Ezekiel. That's going to happen in the Middle East. It's going to happen before Jesus returns. And who was the number one financer of Hamas? Iran. Iran is nine months away from having nuclear weapons. Nine months. Department of Defense came out and said that this week. Any questions? The problem with prophecy is it's not easy to figure out all the details, but we do the best we can. And I count on you to go home and do your own homework and don't believe a single word that I say here. It's exciting times, folks. And please don't misunderstand. It is horrible what happened in the nation of Israel. It is horrible. With that being said, did anyone look at the news today? There have already been multiple lone wolf attacks all over the world in China, in France. One of the former leaders of Hamas got on the news yesterday or the day before and called for jihad from everybody to go out and kill in solidarity and support of the invasion of the nation of Israel. The next day, people have been killed in major cities all around the world. Stabbings. And guess what they yell right before they stab the people? Aloha snack bar. Yep. They scream, Allah Akbar. God is greater. So, the your level of alertness, okay? We shouldn't be at DEFCON 5 anymore. We should be down at 4, personally. Okay, I don't know if anyone noticed, but I'm carrying open today. So, when someone comes running down those stairs, screaming Aloha Snack Bar. They're not going to make it down the second step. For those of you that think less of me as a Christian, <clears throat> I don't care. Any questions on the nuclear war that's coming with Ezekiel? Here's what's crazy, okay? Congress, congressmen, senators, celebrities, businesses are all saying that we support and we are with Hamas. There are protests in countries all over the world supporting the people that kicked in doors and dragged babies into the streets and sodomized them and then decapitated them and put it on the news. This isn't Patrick making this stuff up. There are videos. It's insane. This is the devil personified. This is what it looks like when the devil is in control. If anyone has any questions about preparedness, come and talk to me. We are those people. We, can, we will point you to, to every resource you want. We have, we have done the homework. Joanna. Okay, good question. So the number one thing, in the book of Psalms, God commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now more than ever, we need to do that. We need to do that certainly 
over the folks in southern Israel. Uh, we need to pray that God squishes the bad guys and fast, okay? Because there's a lot of fighting and there's a lot of a lot of people that are going to lose their lives. Along with that, if you want to send support, okay, one way to do it, I think it's mercuryone.org. Uh, that's a group that helps out over there and is uh, sending people over to do relief uh, from the United States. They have people on the ground there. They had people over there immediately. The United States of America has over a thousand Americans over in the nation of Israel who are unable to get home right now. They need your prayers as well. You know, they're going through a real hard time. Obviously, their family's pretty, you know, upset and scared being back here and and loved ones are over in the nation of Israel. You know, we need to pray for them. And look, I'm going to tell you, we never want to say or believe that, oh, all we can do is pray. It's not all we can do. Okay, that is hands down the most powerful thing any of us can do. Okay, we are praying to the God that parted the Red Sea and allowed the nation of Israel to walk through on dry land. The waters were as a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left. That is the God that we are going to in prayer. And the great news is that God wants to hear from you and will stop whatever he is doing just to listen to you anytime you come into the throne room to talk to God. He always is there to hear you. So we we want to make our prayers known to God. It will your prayers will literally move mountains. That is the greatest thing we can do. Beyond that, over here, you know, I hate to say it, but we're about as far away from the nation of Israel as we possibly could be. Okay, I can't bring them a meal. You know, there's a lot of things that I can't do that I would do if you folks were were going through a hard time. Um, so beyond prayer, what I tell everyone is look. We want to get our own life squared away. So if there is a problem that if this continues to escalate, more countries get involved. If this bleeds over into America, you can be prepared. Get out of debt, get some food, get some water, get a firearm, learn how to use it, get some bullets stocked up, you know, get some medication set aside. If you're on medication, uh, if you can figure out a fuel source, you know, to cook with or to provide power with, do those things. Get to know your neighbors. Become friends with your neighbors. Wherever you live, you're going to be better off if you and your neighbors are friendly and can help each other out. You know, those are all good things to do. Beyond that, if you are not a person who is regularly in your Bible and praying every day, let me tell you, you're going to wish you were that person. Because folks that do that, they find peace and comfort in the Word of God and in praying to God. And as you're going through these hard times, it is increasingly difficult to remember that God is in control and I don't have to be. I don't need to worry. First uh, Timothy 1.7 says, uh, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, the intent is not for us to be afraid, uh, the intent is to know who we are in relationship to God and that he is going to take care of us because we are his loving children. I think that's the best thing that, you know, that we can do. I know you're all dying to get out of here because I've kept you late for next week. For any of you that might want to come back after listening to that tirade, uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter four. We're going to talk about Jesus and the temptation with the devil in the wilderness, and we're going to get into some pretty wild stuff that is in Matthew chapter four. So with that being said, thank you everyone for coming. 
<laughs> I was afraid this might not be the most spiritual night we've had, but I'm glad that we got to go over some of this and, you know, just uh, just talk about it. It's an important one. Oni, would you be so kind as to close us in a word of prayer?